Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of CMF Curo. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org and live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us will be Dr. Tom Nelson, a family physician who practices in Westchester, Illinois, who during the last 10 to 15 years has experienced quite a transformation in his individual life, as well as the way he practices medicine. We're going to learn something about how to strengthen the effectiveness of a physician through his own story by integrating prayer with patients into the practice of medicine. So, Andrew... You take care of families. What makes this topic worthy of our audience's time and attention? Well, I, I would like to think for most of our listeners, at least, prayer is an important part of your life. If it's not, it should be. And especially when it comes to health matters, most of the people I hang out with would pray about something before they go see a doctor. And uh, <laughs> yes. if we're kind of leaning on, you know, medicine apart from prayer, you know, we're really fools. You know, they have to be united. And if anything, if I had to pick one of the two, I'd pick prayer. <laughs> um, Very good. When you have them both together, I think that's a powerful one, too. And uh, Dr. Nelson's going to tell us how he integrated into his practice, which it's kind of tough because doctors are are uncomfortable with the idea of prayer, aren't they, Tom? Uh, they, they often are, which led to somebody doing this awesome review article published in 2021 called Doctor, Will You Pray For Me? Uh, it was a psychiatrist from Columbia, Dr. Robert Klitzman, who put it together. And he reviewed a number of studies, one from uh, over 10 years ago, showing that among hospital inpatients, four out of 10 wanted to discuss spiritual concerns with their doctor, but only half of them did so. And there were some yeah. other findings in there. Yeah, I I believe it. You know, I'm seeing some of the statistics from that article uh, of ICU doctors, 80% thought it was their responsibility to address the religious or spiritual needs of their patients, but only 14% and 7% said they frequently asked patients about these topics. And so- And the 7% was it, asking their families. Yeah. You, you know that people want to talk about this, but it's just hard to figure out the best way to do it. Yeah. And it said one in five physicians never discusses these issues, even if the patient asks- even if it's at the end of life. And it's almost always the patient that has to initiate these because physicians generally don't make efforts to support the patient's religiosity. But later in the article, he will talk about um, some barriers that we can talk about with Dr. Tom. Well, and it's so tough too, because on the, on the doctor's side, there's a couple times when I remember, especially when I was caring for ICU folks, you would bring it up. Clearly this person's at the end of life and then they shoot you down. They don't want to talk about it. And Either they're really in denial. I mean, they say there's no atheists in foxholes. In ICU, if there are some, it's probably because they're in denial. Um, but it's it's challenging because it's, when you get shot down as a doctor too, man, it makes you second guess bringing it up to the next person. You know what I mean? Ah, I'll ask Tom about that. Hey, and if you want to learn more about how religious practice affects your health, we covered that in episode 200 of Dr. Doctor with Dr. Paul Carson. And so you can review that if you'd like to. Uh, interestingly, patients who said that doctors prayed with them were more likely to be satisfied with their health care. And this was really fascinating. Physicians with no religious affiliation are more likely to do invasive procedures on patients. I, I believe that. I mean, if you think about it, if they're, especially if somebody does not believe in any afterlife, everything's heroic efforts, right? Right, because this is all there is to them. Yeah. They, I, one of the statistics here, it says most doctors feel that their training is just inadequate in this area. 62% of doctors wish they had more training. And they describe discomfort with these topics being a primary obstacle. So I'll be interested to see if Tom, how he kind of overcame that in his practice. Because he had that discomfort. It's interesting, the Joint Commission that accredits hospitals said over 20 years ago, all hospitals are supposed to train all their healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, et cetera, in addressing patient spiritual care, but it still doesn't happen. In fact, only 60% of hospitals have a chaplain, and that hasn't changed over 20 years. Amazing. See, that's incredible. 
Now, this is one I can't wait to hear about, that half of doctors feel awkward because the patient's religious affiliation is different than theirs. So I'm going to be curious how Tom handles that. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the world we live in, everybody is kind of in their own echo chambers a lot of times. And I think just our dialoguing with people who are different than us is not a skill set people have as much as they used to. It used to be okay that we could all you know, agree to disagree and we'd assume people were different than us. But now it's almost like, oh, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to you. I don't want to say anything offensive. You know, I yes, think uh, yes. that'd be a huge barrier. Um, it's interesting that uh, in this review article, doctors say that the reason they don't do this with patients is lack of time or a private space. But the study uh, demonstrated that there's actually five other causes or reasons. Yes. And these are going to be the focus of the second half of our interview with Tom, right? I would like that to be, yeah, because I think these are things a lot of us, you know, run into. And the first of them is, uh, you know, doctors have a personal discomfort talking about spiritual issues with anyone. That that seems legitimate. What are the other ones, Tom? Well, a second would be the belief that patients don't want these conversations, although they say they do. Third, you know, doctors don't want to make patients feel uncomfortable and they think they will. Fourth, and we already addressed this, they haven't, we haven't been trained. And five, uh, which we also mentioned, is that we especially feel uncomfortable addressing patients with a different uh, religious beliefs than we do. So uh, particularly a Christian engaging with a non-Christian is, is kind of challenging. It, I'll be interested to see how he gets this into family medicine because the place where I've seen this used really well is actually with our other co-host, Chris Stroud, that yes. uh, believe it or not, I am so much younger than you guys that I was actually a student under Chris Stroud at one time. And uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed watching him pray with patients before surgery. And I've, ah. I thought about how can I work this in? And, you know, in the office, there's times it's, it's very appropriate, but like I'll do colonoscopies and I've thought about it and I think it's unsettling. Like, is this colonoscopy going to be dangerous? I mean, you're not cutting anything, right? right? There's no blood. Right. Um, but for surgery, man, for, for him, he did it very well and the patients loved it. So my question is, is how can I integrate this more in my practice in a way that they won't think I'm a weirdo? And uh, hopefully I can and do it for their benefit as well. Amen. Great questions for Dr. Tom. Well, we before we get to him, we have our medical trivia question of the day. Category, not surprisingly, physician attitudes toward praying with patients. There's only been one randomized national sample of U.S. physicians. And in the study of 1,100 physicians, 63% of them responded. That's an incredible response rate. 81% of them said they never or rarely prayed with patients, and 60% said that they never or rarely share their own religious beliefs. In this study, what percent of doctors said that, number one, they should never pray with patients under any circumstance, and number two, only pray with patients if asked? So first, what percent of doctors said they should never pray with patients, and second, what percent said they should only pray with patients if asked? We'll have the answer at the end of the show, but after the break here on Dr. Doctor, we'll have Dr. Tom Nelson on Praying with Patients. Welcome back. We have our special guest with us today, Dr. Tom Nelson, on Learning to Pray with Patients. Uh, Dr. Tom has been married to his wife, Anne, for 38 years. They've been blessed with two children. He graduated from the College of Osteopathic Medicine in Chicago in 1987. He then completed a family practice residency at LaGrange Memorial Hospital, and he's been practicing in Westchester, Illinois, for over 30 years. He's a team physician and football coach at Nazareth Academy High School for almost 20 years. He had a major transformation in his life occur through the ministry of the John Paul II Healing Center, which will be known to listeners who've heard Dr. Bob Schutz on here, who started that. And that was in a retreat for Tom in 2017. He has since received training in the I Am in Unbound Prayer Ministries. He's also involved with formation with the Be Healed Retreats through Dr. Bob Schutz JP2 Healing Center, also serving in his Diocese of Joliet. He's currently enrolled in the School of Spiritual Direction at Franciscan University. And by integrating his own faith and the healing power of prayer into his medical practice, He's now treating patients and families in their wholeness. Dr. Tom, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Hi, Tom. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having <laughs> Good me. Good to on. have you here. So uh, 
in a book that was published last year by Tan Publishers called Man Your Post, Learning to Lead Like St. Joseph, there's a chapter on Joseph Most Courageous, and it mainly deals with Tom's initial conversion story about praying with patients that he's going to share with us. And that story began in 2008. Tom, what was the state of your personal, family, spiritual, professional life in 2008? Yeah, Tom, it was an extremely busy time in my life. And um, I was the managing partner of our practice, which had seven doctors at the time. Head football coach on a sophomore team at Nazareth. I was team physician for the school. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a real crazy time because I was really caught up with what I was doing. And I, got, and, and I just kept doing it. And, and when I look back, I realized that my mission was what I was doing. And I was all caught up with that. And so I ended up, because I was getting my identity from that, it was like a roller coaster ride. If I if we won football games, it was great. If we didn't, it was not. And same thing with the practice. When patients were great, everything was good. So obviously that, that changed um, quite soon after, uh, you know, we'll talk more in this story uh, coming up. Well, and the, it sounds like a large part of your your story that the big change centered around a patient named Joan. Um, tell us how you met Joan. So I met Joan in 1990. It actually happened to be the first year of my medical practice right after residency. And so my schedule was pretty wide open and she actually tripped and fell right in front of my office. And, <laughs> and you know, walk-ins are walk-ins. And so she walked in and I met her and, and tripped so in there, I, yes. So, so I, I joked with her. I said, you fell for me, the, you know, back in 1990. So, so it, was, it's a, it was a very interesting relationship because uh, she was a, she was a, a real uh, private person. You know, as I got to know over the years, um, you almost want to say she was a loner. And mm-hmm. you always knew that she was just, there was a little mistrust there when she came into the office. So, but the beauty was she loved she was very respectful. She bought Christmas gifts for my, my kids every year. So, you know, Andrew, as you know, in primary care, you have patients that really love by giving. And so she was one of those patients. Man, and so great. you cared for her for a number of years, but something different happened with her in 2008. What was the challenge that was presented to you? You know, so she developed um, the lung cancer that was locally invasive, but it had spread over about a year and a half. And um, so, yeah, so, so she struggled with that. And um, because she was a private person, I didn't know a lot about her, her um, support system. And one day um, she came in to see me and we basically had all the records from the oncologist and radiation therapist and there was nothing else they could do. So I had one of the you know, end of life decisions with her. And so as we're sitting in the room and, you know, I'm, all ready to try to how where your what family is what and she basically looked at me with a blank stare and said you know i don't have anybody and to help me and i i was i was kind of like like you're kidding me you know i was like you know that that can't be true and so after a couple of deep breaths she just said I, I really need help dr tom i i, I need you to you know, you know help me and i'm like of course you know and it was just like came out so spontaneously and it was a very, it was a very, um, yeah, I didn't know what I was saying. I was, well, I wanted to take the words back because I didn't really know what I was getting into at the time. <laughs> yeah. What, what did that mean? What were you getting into? So, you know, so she, she had like her, her dad, uh, her dad died in a car accident. Her brother she hadn't seen was estranged from the family and the mom died about 10 years ago. And because she was such a private person, she didn't, it didn't lend to having a lot of friends. So she had no friends to actually come in and help her. So it was actually, I was, I was 24 seven helping her out. With a friend. Oh my gosh. I was the friend. And so, yeah, and it was, it was, it was difficult because, you know, this is uncharted territory and there was, you know, there was a lot of emotion. Everybody's trying to tell me what to do. I was, I was so busy in my life coaching and running the practice and I, I took this on and I didn't even think twice about trying to give it something else up. It was very busy. So what were you hearing from your wife at this point? (laughs) 
Yeah. So she, you know, she was a common force, you know, she was, yeah. So she was, yeah, she was, she knew, well, I talked to my dad and her at length. They were, they were the people that really shed a lot of light on it. And, and after prayer, we've all said that, you know, she asked you, she needs you do it and we'll support you doing it. Wow. That's incredible for a wife to say that with somebody so, so busy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I can relate to that, getting your um, your sense of worth from what you're accomplishing. It's, it must have been a heavy load. But somehow, Joan broke the ice to get you to start praying with her. What happened? Hmm. Well, that was, um, that's, you know, the, the, it, it really stems to actually her burial in terms of that. So she... You know, when she died, and, and there's more to, the, to that story there, but when she died, um, it was me and three grave diggers carrying her casket to the, the burial site next to her mom and dad. And that was, that was, that was probably, and I, and I was just like, this is, this isn't happening to me. I was pinching myself, actually. And, and on the way home, I, I just, I knew the Lord wanted a change in my life. He's, he, he rocked my world. And, and uh, my wife, who, again, who was so good in, in the support system, she said, Tommy, you have to go to adoration. You got to spend time with oh, Jesus. Your wife. My wife gave me direction to go to adoration. So that's kind of where, um, you know, that started. So my life got reordered because I spent a lot of time not only handling Jones Estate and all the issues that were coming up with that, but actually I gave up my, my uh, managing partner, my, my role as a managing partner, I, I, I did not coach for a year. I just, I just gave a lot of these things away so I could you know, be with her and take care of her needs. So it was a kind of a forced reordering in my life. But um, yeah, so that was, that was it. Man, that's incredible. So it sounds like that interaction really caused you to completely reorient yourself. How, yeah. how long did you care for her? It was, uh, it was um, I think it was... 2008, so 18 years. It was 18 years. I started practicing. So she died in 2008. Died in 2008. Yeah. Okay. And you what? talk about not having a, a real, another life changing event for six years in Telecurseo. So what happened during the six years from 2008 to 2014? There was just a, a desire to get closer to the Lord. So I was really open to more prayer. Um, retreats, you know, this Garcia retreat, it was interesting because, um, you know, I, I used a lot of excuses. I did have a lot of excuses, but I used excuses not to go to Curcio. And one of my parishioners in our parish was asking me for about 10 years and I kept giving him the hype. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And um, finally, at this point in my life, it just, it, it just, you know, so the Lord opened some time for me to kind of go there. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that some of our listeners, maybe as a point of analogy, have a lot going on. I, I'm trying to figure out how do you even start knowing what to keep, what to drop, how to reorganize? Did that just all kind of come in prayer or how did you sort through that? Yeah, that's a good question, Andrew. Um, yeah, I think it was just, you know, again, I was going to adoration three, three to five times a week, um, praying more. Um, you know, you know, after our retreat, you know, after the Curcio retreat, um, there was a rejuvenation, rejuvenation of my desire. I, I learned about the, I was kind of a cradle Catholic. So, you know, prayer was not, you know, a very dynamic thing in my life. I did Sunday mass and took care of the, the, the obligations that I had as a Catholic, but I wasn't really living to the fullest that I needed to. And so I ended up, um, yeah, just between you know taking advantage of the sacraments and praying and and being open to new new things. Well, then in 2016, near the end of the year, you were given a book that we've talked about in a show with Dr. Bob Schutz called "Be Healed," and you had a very visceral reaction to that book, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, it was um, it was given to me by, by a good friend in, in Minnesota, and um, when I read it, I was just amazed, you know, some of the things and I know you, you guys read it as well, but it, when I read about some of the healings that happened through prayer, um, 
with Dr. Bob, I, I was like, this is no way. This is a bunch of, you know what? And I, I couldn't, you know, so I, so I, I read it. I read it and. Um, a bunch of bologna. Yeah. <laughs> bologna sausage. Yeah. And so we, we ended up going to, there was a retreat happened to be in Minnesota, real close to where my friends lived. So the person who gave me the book, um, you know, was very happy because because I was going, then her husband would go with me, right? So that was a little side a side uh, benefit of, of having it happen. And so I'm real grateful to Susan and Mike for that experience. Um, yeah, so it was a very, very interesting retreat. Yeah, what, what, so this was one of the um, Be Healed retreats that Dr. Bob and the JP2 Healing Center lead, is that right? Right, it was called Men on Fire, but it was the same principle that, that kind of involved, but it was all men. And the, you know, so, so we're listening to some of the, the um, lectures and, and it was really powerful. And I think one of the things that I really started to learn was that I was a beloved son of God. And that, that was something they kept talking about. It was something that I knew in my head that I was supposed to be beloved. But when the word was mentioned, I think, I think everybody else in the room was beloved, but not me. And so in that mm. retreat, they, they, they did um, prayer. And there was about 200 guys there, and, and they asked, um, anybody want healing, stand up. And I, I'm saying, well, now here's the, the show. This is, you know, the freak show is going to happen. I'm, so I sit back on my chair. I put my, my leg up, and, and I, was, I was just, okay, you know, let's see what And then as they proceeded, then they said, anybody that's not standing up, would you please stand up and put your hand on the guy next to you and pray for that? And I'm like, What? I, said, I don't, this is way out of my comfort zone. I, I don't know what this, so I, I obviously listened and, uh, and it, I think it was good. I wasn't with my friend because we probably would have done something a lot different, but I was with someone I didn't know. And I, and I, I prayed and I was like, what, do, what am I going to do? I don't have my stethoscope. I don't have a syringe. I don't have a pill. I, I how am I, how's this guy going to achieve anything? And so I, then I had this, this, this inspiration to pray to Mary and I prayed to her blessed mother and, I had my hand on his shoulder and I felt this just connection that I, I, I was really profound. And I had my hand on his shoulder and then obviously the prayer, you know, they, they stopped. And then later on, he got up and he had a miraculous healing that day. And he shared it with the group, his testimony. And it, it, it had to do, he was thankful for the prayer, but he, he not only had healed from his, his hip pain, he had two pins in his hip from surgeries and um, chronic pain, the pain went away. And then after, after later, he had some more prayer with Dr. Bob and the team. And he actually had um, a healing that he thought from uh, addiction to pornography, which was oh. rooted. Yeah. So there was a spiritual uh, healing as well. And, and that's what really, you know, really uh, you kind of got me, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. So later that night, so I get home and, and we, you know, I had a just great evening. It was just, I was on fire. I just couldn't believe that my heart was different. So I went to sleep that night. I had a great sleep. I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I'm wide awake. And I felt like I was sleeping for 12 hours and it was like maybe for four or five. And I'm laying there and I'm just thinking my little bit of a sore shoulder and my wrist, stuff that I've been, you know, injuries from the past. And I'm like, why didn't I get up to ask for healing. And then all of a sudden, I felt this tingling in my arm and my shoulder. I had this huge, like, vision. And, I, you know, at the time, I didn't know, but it was a divine mercy, Jesus. And I just felt a sense of love like I've never, ever felt before in my life. So I'm laying in bed in my buddy's house crying sobbing in my bed, not knowing what was happening to me, but I felt safe. I felt secure. I felt loved. And, you know, it's almost like I want to run around and jump in bed and tell my, look, look what happened to me, you know, in my, my, in their, in, at their house. And so, yeah. And then several hours later I woke up and, and, and after just really deep and I just couldn't wait to tell Susan, Susan was gifted in the prayer ministry. And so, so I was waiting downstairs when she got up and she brought some coffee in and then she saw my change and she goes, what happened? And I explained her what happened. And as I was explaining it, I had like these guidance to where this trauma may have happened. You know, I had obvious separated shoulder, broken wrist, I had other sure. things, but there was some 
spiritual wounds that I didn't even come close to. Part of it was trauma dealing with getting grazed by a car. And then my dad's response, because he was witnessing me, it happened to me. And all the trauma around that was like stored in my body. But I didn't know I had to go there. It was just stuff that was there. there. And when it came out, I started sobbing. But at the same time, the areas of my extremity that were, were like throbbing and there was like a, not a bad pain. It was a good pain. All of a sudden um, went away and I started crying. Susan prayed over me and, and uh, it just, at that point on, I was like, I, I'm in, I'm signing up for this. I need to know how to, to do this. I need to know where to go. So that's, that's what brought me home to Chicago, you know, and, and, you know, my wife, just like after Curcio, when you come home from that mountaintop experience, it's like, you know, I'm not Moses or Elijah, but I feel like them right now, you know? <laughs> well, and you knew you wanted to get more involved. And so you went to Tallahassee and you met with uh, Bob Schutz, right? Tell us right. about that. What, why'd you go there and what happened? Yeah. So, so before that, one of the requirements to go to that retreat was to do a healing the whole person retreat. So I, I, my good friend, Father Brooke Masters, and I did the work study together and also read Be Healed uh, again. And that prepared us for going to that retreat. And so, so Father Burke and I went to that retreat to learn the I Am prayer ministry. And, and that's the, the ministry that Dr. Bob used to do it once a year, but he does it twice a year. It's a five-day-long program that he does in Tallahassee. So this is for you personally or to train you for something? Uh, it's obviously both. It's, it, it's, you get, you get out of it what you put into it. It's like anything we do in life, but no, it's actually to learn the technique and pray with other people. Oh, so this is where you got some hands-on training. So in our introduction, we mentioned one of the reasons doctors don't pray with patients is they haven't been trained. So what did you learn there that, that helped you in you after that with patients? You know, it was, um, yeah, it's, it's really complex, but to, to be really, it, I realize prayer is not hard. You have to, you have to just be present. You have to be connected to the vine. You know, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I and you will bear much fruit, right? That's what, you know, John 15. And, and what, what you learn is I am, I stands for inspiration. A stands for abiding and M stands for following the movements of the Holy Spirit. They take that apart. And, and they kind of give you pieces of that. And so the first thing we did is we just, you know, what do you need if we, we'd have groups of four, one person sit down, three people would be around. And, and we just said, what do you need prayers for? And we prayed for them. And then there was some release of some struggle, you know, and it was interesting. Everybody had varied in different people. And throughout the week, it expanded into some pretty interesting physical healing and a lot of other stuff. Do, do you think that with practice, that's a big part of getting more comfortable praying with other people. Practice. I, I think, I think it's two things, Andrew. I think it's um, being more comfortable with prayer, but also being more connected yourself on a regular basis to, to God, our father and, and, and our faith. Yeah. So the practice definitely is necessary. How, how did your practice of medicine change after this? Well, when I got back from Tallahassee, I, 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 what happened that I used to, like, I felt very comfortable feeling, like, I, I felt like my heart was, like, doing a lot of the work. You know, we, we're in our heads a lot as doctors analyzing. I felt like, can I pray for you? Is there something going on? Can I? So I felt this thing to pray for people, you know, and then... Um, is there anything I can pray for? And then I, I just would say, I'd go in a private room and say, can I pray with you? And, and people were like, they're letting me come and pray with them. And, and as this happened, a lot of the staff decided, like, what is Dr. Tom drinking, right? I, I need to figure this out. And so I, I would invite him to our Be Healed retreats, which is one of the things. Dr. Bob gave us permission to use his material running these retreats in our diocese. And so you know, our staff, we've had multiple staff members come to the retreats multiple times. One of my nurse is one of my nurses is actually on our team right now helping. So you can see so, how it, go ahead. So Dr. Tom, to unwind this a little bit, over what period of time did you go from asking patients, is there something I can pray for, to actually asking, Can I pray with you? Did this happen within a week or within a period of years? 
Um, it, I would say years. Um, okay. So it sounded yeah, like it might were, happen really quick, yeah, but it was a slow so, process. Correct. Very, yeah, it was correct. It was a very slow process. What role does being willing to be vulnerable have in doing that with patients? Hmm. Yeah, it's everything. It's, it's everything. Yeah. The, 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 I think the big thing that I realized is that, you know, you know, Dr. Bob talks about, you know, the tree of knowledge of good, good and evil and the tree of life. Right. And so the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which we are really good at, um, you know, we were self-reliant. We'd rely on ourselves. We were stuck in a room with our patients. We got to figure out drug interactions. We got to do all that stuff, but we're not, we're not used to like letting our guard down. I mean, we're too busy to let our guard down. And so that's, that's the prayer piece. That's, you know, you know, getting prayed with and, and being vulnerable and, and, and allowing these experience and receiving the healing sacraments, right. Uh, is really important, you know, more regular confession and receiving communion. And, and one of the things that happened to me is I, I've become a daily communicant right now. So this is another thing. So I, so because we're, our practice is busy, we have 10 doctors right now. One of the newer doctors, I, I, I had to do all this prayer time. I did not feel good until, you know, it wasn't exercise. I had to spend prayer in the morning. I had to get the mass before I came in. And so uh, because our, you know, we have such a shoddy inpatient, you know, uh, list, you know, you know, it was easy for our new pa- new partner to take over all my patients. So I, I gradually transitioned and gave all my inpatients and nursing home to a new doctor looking for business. So it's like a collaboration with our patients and it freed me up to do just prepare my, my work myself for the work. And at this point, you know, my nurses are going to daily mass with me. We pray, awesome. over our, we pray for our schedule every day. And I know Dr. Tom, you do that for your patients as well. I heard on the last podcast and Andrew, you may, and then we, you know, we pray a rosary at lunchtime. And then at the end of the day, we do protection prayers. We do prayers so that we don't go home with any of the junk. The evil one wants us to take home with us. Right. <laughs> How many, days, how, many times do, how many times do we go to work and all of a sudden just end up in the worst mood by the time we get home? And we don't know <laughs> what to do with it, right? So I have all these prayers. Francis, Mc, Francis McNutt, who Dr. Bob mm-hmm. recommended, I have all these prayers that we just kind of, you know, just kind of clean ourselves. You know, it's like cleaning your, taking your shoes off and cleaning your soul before you walk in the door. So it's, but it's been a journey for that. It's been a really blessed journey because when you're abiding, you know when you're not right, and you know when other people aren't right either. Tom, this is a good place to take a break in the show, but we'll be back with more of your story and some suggestions here on Dr. Doctor. And we are back with Dr. Doctor today, talking about praying with patients, and we got to hear the great story about kind of a spiritual change and even spiritual healing with Dr. Nelson here. And there's a couple of things we want to talk about in the second half here. Some of the reasons why doctors don't pray with patients. But first, if you could start us off, uh, Dr. Tom, with the story about a patient you had with a heart problem. Tell us about that. Yeah, about three months ago, I had a, a lady come in who had has a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a weakening of the heart muscle. And she had defibrillator and she's got all these problems and she's got, you know, three different cardiologists involved with her care. And she's been having recurrent atrial fibrillation, which is the irregular heart rhythm from the top chambers of the heart. And so uh, she was having, she was going to ER. There's a lot of fear involved because she was very symptomatic and cardiologists were running out of things to do with her. And so she came, she showed up in my office after her session, her last atrial fib episode about three months ago. And, um, I was kind of surprised. I was sitting in the room and she said, I said, well, you know, I said, Cindy, I said, you know, you've got all these cardiologists. What, what do you expect me to do to, to help you? I'm, I'm just a family doctor and, you know, I, I, I need to know about your issues, but I, I don't have any. And she looked at me and she says, I think you can help me. And I looked at her and I just said, I think that's a green light to go pray with her, right? Because I, uh, <laughs> I, I prayed with people in her family, so I think she was familiar with that. And so when when I went up to her, and it was just it was a very inspired prayer, and I actually had my hand over her heart, 
connected with the defibrillator and I just felt really inspired. And I, I just, I, I, I said this spontaneous prayer. I had no expectations at all. She calls me the next day, her atrial fibrillation is gone. And she didn't have any episodes. I'm saying, well, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, she comes back six weeks later. She still has not had atrial fibrillation. And wow. she saw the cardiologist and the cardiologist is shaking. He goes, there's no reason that you should not, <laughs> not be in atrial fibrillation right now. We didn't do anything. And so I, I was just like, I, I, I believe anything can happen, you know? And so, so then she had one more visit with the cardiologist and she, she was, a, she was a little, uh, um, away from her, the church because of COVID and a lot of other things, not going to actively going to church. And um, so she had asked the cardiologist, you know, that, that cardizem, which is calcium channel blocker, is there any way that can convert me from, you know, back in the sinus? He goes, nope, that just keeps your heart rate down. It's not going to do anything for conversion. And so so she came back and, and I said, well, Cindy, what do you think happened? She, she had tears in her eyes and she goes, I think I had a miracle happen to me. And we, my nurse, she, I think she's coming in next week. And my nurse was on the phone with her the other day. And one of the, the, she's still out of atrial fib. And she had a little scare with a polyp in her esophagus. And she said, she goes, she never prayed more than anything for healing for that. And the polyp uh, was removed and benign. And so she thinks that, you know, she's just so grateful for like a renewal of her faith through that experience. Man, that is yep. that is really incredible. I mean, I think a lot of people hear that and say, "I I want to make that part of my practice." How how has your office environment changed? You know, you had mentioned doing prayers before and after work. What do your partners think? Are you are you the crazy religious guy? Amen. Yeah. Um, so we are. Yeah, well, I, we have ten partners. The my brother now is a managing partner. He's my oldest brother. So he, he knew I was always a little off my rocker, um, <laughs> but, but um, it's, it's been pretty well received. You know, it's been pretty well received. You know, one of the things that happened as a result of Joan and her estate, she donated money to an abortion, uh, for, for, to a pro-life clinic to prevent, you know, women to go for abortions. Oh. And yeah, so she donated money and they bought an ultrasound unit at this woman choice services where my wife was working. And so, so the reason I'm telling this is because that was in about 2010. And um, when I went to a, a, like a, a ceremony of gratitude and they had a priest and a doctor, a, a pro-life people together, they were just, you know, um, having a little like get together and they wanted to honor Susan, uh, uh, Joan for her donation. So I was there on behalf of Joan. I, I had this, you know, hearing this doctor give up tubal ligations, hear this priest talk about the effects of contraception on the church and on just, you know, the, the physical bad effects and, you know, talking about Humana Vitae and, you know, Pope John, the, you know, uh, the sick, Pope Paul the sixth. And I, I, I just was moved. And so I, I, it was like, my wife was amazed because I, I was sitting there listening to people talk and all of a sudden I got out of my chair and I just blurted out. I've been a secular doctor prescribing birth control to my patients, thinking like it was my right to do. It's time I, I man up. I'm done as of today prescribing birth control. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> my, I was like, I sat down and, and it was just a movement of the spirit. And I'm like, <laughs> my, my wife is like, finally, you're listening to me. You know, I've been trying to talk to you all for years. Good for her. So, well, Tom, yeah. we've got about seven minutes to go through the five main oh. obstacles to doctors praying with patients. So number yeah. one, they say doctors have a discomfort talking about spiritual issues. How do you get over that? Well, you know, it gets back to, you know, our own formation. You know, my, my life, faith is important, important, but prayer was not a real big part of everyday happening except for grace and when you went to mass. And so um, I, I, I really think, you know, a lot of the wounds that, that, are, that we have suffered in our life are reasons that we do not go there. So a fear of rejection, fear of unworthiness, and the confusion. Is it legal? Can you pray with patients? Yeah, I haven't gotten sued yet, so I think it's okay. But I, having, <laughs> having, an encounter, having an encounter with God's love, that's what I, how do we have a real true encounter? And so after I had my encounter, and like Tom, you asked, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like a switch all of a sudden. 
you can pray over people and you can do all this stuff. It's a, it's a transition. And I got real curious at that time in my life. And so I did, I was struggling with I, scripture. I, it didn't make sense. I didn't own a Bible until Father Burke made me get one in 2016. Wow. And so, I, so, so, so I was pretty, you know, so I didn't have this, this, this catechism and this scripture. So I was struggling. I'm like, I'm supposed to, this is supposed to help me get better. And I'm, you know, intellectually going through it. And so I did a time analysis. I looked at my life at the age of 60. I looked back and I did really specific analysis. I won't go into details, but I realized that I spent 20 years sleeping. Okay. A third of my life. I spent 15.8 years. Did I say hours? I meant years. 20 years sleeping. I spent 15.8 years education and work. And then I spent 0.64 years on my formation and my faith. And I went to all Catholic schools all the way through college. And so I looked at it and I was like, this is a process of so much intellectual formation and not enough formation of my faith. And I, and I realized that that's a lot of doctors that are out there my, my age and, and your age. And so I think part of it, too, is a lot of doctors believe that patients don't want to talk about it. Has that been your experience? How many people shoot you down? Yeah, no, it's it's not at all. In fact, when people know you do it, there's like an influx of people that come into the office. I have uh, people know, you know, there's, you know, patients talk, as we know. And so, you know, and, and I think, you know, like in your introduction, you talked about, you know, whether or not patients desired prayer at the beginning, at the end of the visit, they're more satisfied. That's been my own um, experience. So, Tom, what happens if a patient doesn't want to pray or have you never encountered that situation? No, it's it, it's it's real. But but the but the thing is, like Dr. Bob talks about in, in our ministry, if you do anything with love, with genuine love, you can't hurt anybody. You'll never harm anybody. So if I'm legitimately because a person is stuck with their pain and they've been to the pain clinic and they don't want surgery and they're in this, they're in this pickle, you know, of life and, and, and there's not much else to offer them. So, I, so I in other words, the third obstacle was, you know, doctors fear patients will be uncomfortable, but you're saying patients are in such a point that nothing else has worked. They're willing to give it a try. Is that true? That's it. Yeah. And if they don't, they just say, I'm not comfortable with that. And, and okay. which is fine. And, and, and my response would be, but I will pray for you because I know that's going to help you. Yeah. And then the fourth obstacle that doctors said was that no one has taught them how to do it. What do you think about that? Even though the Joint Commission recommended at least talking about spiritual issues over 20 years ago. Yeah, I see. Um, it's definitely the case. And obviously, I think you guys are aware about, you know, Ave Maria a university put, you know, bringing a Catholic medical school. I think that's so much joy in my heart hearing that. And, and so, you know, my prayer, and I, when I look at medicine right now, I see it's very disintegrated, right? We have 160 medical specialties right now. I looked it up a little while ago. That's just <laughs> medical, right? Think about the psychological and spiritual. And people are shopping around in whatever sphere that they're in, trying to figure it out for themselves. And I have to battle. We have, uh, I think, you know, Andrews, trying to figure out where they looked up on the internet and, and how we kind of bring them back into the room. We got to tell them what they, that's not the case. Let's go back and try to figure out what they have. And so, so yeah, so the process of, of healing has to do with, you know, integration, reintegration, which is body, soul, and spirit, as we know. And that's, that's whole, being whole. And patient, patients want to be whole. So those patients that don't, are, are comfortable, you talk about wholeness. You talk about disintegration. You talk about uh, five different, you know, disintegrations that happen, you know, between God, our Father, relationally, between our, our mind and our heart, between our body and our soul, and just ecology, just us and the world out there. And you can access those and see, point out, this, you're struggling here, you're struggling here, but this one up here isn't really connecting for you. Where is your relationship with God? Where is your relationship with your faith? The patients are, 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 are willing to, to go there. How, how do you talk to people of different faiths? Or do you find that most people who approach you are Christian of some kind? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, most Catholics right now, okay, for only Catholics, you know, they when you ask them about their faith, they, they say, you know, I was Catholic, you know, and, and I'm like, I'm like, 
And, and I do. And I say, that's like I was being pregnant when you're pregnant. You know, no, you were baptized. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. It just doesn't go away. And I said, whatever's going on in your life, that needs to be reactivated, reintegrated with what's going on in your life. But one of the, you know, there's, there's a, uh, I had a patient, you know, that came in, a Jewish patient one time. This was an interesting example. I didn't know she was Jewish. She came in and this, the daughter had a melanoma of her sinus, uh, Tom. And Oof. she was struggling. Yeah, so with the whole, she was following her daughter. And so she came with back pain. And, and really was not doing well. And I, so I, uh, I just felt called. I mean, I just, she was in so much anguish trying to describe the, 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 just the fear that her daughter was going to go through all this crazy surgery. And I, I prayed with her and she says, wait, wait, wait. I just want you to know I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm like, oh, okay, no worries. And, you know, that didn't mean anything to me. <laughs> right? For like, like, don't, don't talk about the saints and Mary right now. You know, just talk about God. They have, they believe in God, right? So just, Talk about God and the Holy Spirit. So, commonalities. Yeah. Well, Tom, yeah. we're up to our last minute, and I know you have some advice you want to give all listeners to consider on this topic. Yeah. Well, I think one of the the big things, one a, a quote that you know from Saint John Paul II, um, it really resonates with me in our ministry is that we're not a sum of our weaknesses and failures, we're some of our Father's love, and the real capacity to be an image of Christ for others. And if you think about that, that just like breaks everything down. And this is especially for the doctors and healthcare workers out there. A lot of times we are, our stuff is getting in the way. And that's the stuff that can, through healing and attending Dr. Bob's healing retreats or coming to Joliet and coming to our retreats, you will receive healing and more room for that to happen. And, and, after, after that happens, I think what will happen is that we as doctors will stop looking at patients as a sum of their diagnoses and illnesses. And that they, because of their beloved nature and their baptism, have the capacity to be images of Christ. That's how the church grows. That's how we become one body of Christ. And we as doctors have the privilege and I think the responsibility to help guide them back to their identity as beloved sons and daughters. That's the biggest that's thing a, in my life. That's beautiful, Tom. Thank you so much for being with us on Dr. Doctor. I suspect we'll have some things to discuss in the future on the air. God bless you. God bless. And we are back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the medical trivia question. Tom, what do you got? So, what percent of doctors said in a survey nationwide that they should never pray with patients in any circumstance? It was one in six. One in six doctors said that. And then what percent of doctors said they would only pray with patients if patients asked them? And I was surprised that it wasn't higher. It was 53%. I would have thought that most doctors wouldn't want to initiate any. So it means that, well, I guess 53 plus 17 is 70%. So I guess 30% would be willing to ask a patient if they wanted to pray, which to me yeah, was pretty amazing. Old. That really is. I mean, I think part of it might be generational too. I, I feel like, I don't know, the, the new generation and the generation that I was trained in, it's, it's something that you just try and be very respectful so as not to offend anybody. But I think it really limits what we have to offer to each other and to teach people because you can't, you can't be vulnerable to them. You're automatically guarded 24 seven. You know? Yes. Yeah. If we're vulnerable, wow. Yeah. The whole vulnerability piece is, is, is fascinating. So yeah. Andrew, you have a top three takeaway list. I do. I do. So it kind of is, we're, we're going through all this stuff. If, you know, if Dr. Tom has something that you want and you're like, I don't have that. Um, the things that I took away, one was that this is not an overnight thing. This is a long process. And, and the story, although he summarized it nicely, his story was like a 20 plus year story, you know? Yes. So this is something that you can't expect an overnight change. Uh, number two, the thing that stood out to me were the sacraments and especially adoration. I think it's a rare layman that you see going to adoration three times a week, you know, which yes. is a, a huge testament, I think, because when you read about the saints and especially like JP2, the time that they spend in adoration is very different than me. So that's probably a place for me to start. 
And then number three is actually uh, today I was in the Bible and it made me think of something I just read today uh, from Ezekiel, uh, where ah. Ezekiel says, "I this is God speaking to Ezekiel. And I sought for anyone among them who would repair the wall and stand in the breach before me on the behalf of the land. And so I would not destroy it, but I found no one. And you think about Moses and praying for people. So I think yes. a question people say is, why don't you just pray for yourself? <laughs> you know, Well, that's not how God designed it. I don't know why. God designed it that way. But there, <laughs> Good point. There is a power about praying for other people, and it's not a cliche. It's a promise to speak to God for this other person. So when you say you'll pray for somebody, please really do it. And I think there is something to it. So you should make it part of your life. Yes. If I say that to a patient after I leave the room, I immediately pray a prayer for them. Otherwise, I know how forgetful I can be. Great advice, Andrew. So thank you listeners for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor. You can find this and all our old episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. Just click on episode archive at the top where you can search over 280 episodes by topic or guest. And we now offer a video version of our podcast. Just click on the YouTube link near the top of the homepage at drdoctor.org. And if you have a question or an idea for an episode topic, just click where it says submit a question. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally. And we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus, find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.